Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, whenever you're listening. This is Davisville on KDRT-LP 95.7 FM in Davis, California. You can find us online at kdrt.org slash Davisville. I'm Bill Buchanan. I'm your host. Thank you for tuning in today. Well, the Tuskegee Airmen should be a familiar name if you know at least a little about U.S. history. That is, you might know that there were about 16,000 people in the Tuskegee Airmen, including about 1,000 pilots, that they served in World War II, that as Black Americans, they were discriminated against in their own country, that even so, they fought for their country with distinction. It's quite a story. It's quite an American story. World War II ended more than 77 years ago, but the Airmen's families are with us still, and maybe the story of who they were and what they contributed can continue to help us figure out our own times in America and get insights on where we head from here. Today, we have two guests well acquainted with the story of the Tuskegee Airmen, Linnell Brent and Lee Roberts. Their sisters and their father, George Spanky Roberts, was the Tuskegee's commander during the war. The sisters helped run the Tuskegee Airmen Heritage Chapter of Greater Sacramento, which offers scholarships and gives talks about the airmen, who they are, what they accomplished, including, of course, presentations in Davis. They're joining us today by Zoom. Lee and Linnell, thank you for spending time with us today. You're quite welcome. Glad to be here. Yes, this is Lee Roberts. Thank you very much for inviting us. Yeah, so Lee was the second voice you heard. Linnell was the first. Sorry, yes, I'm Linnell. So, you know, books and countless articles have been written about the Tuskegee Airmen. Uh, There's been some movies, several movies, at least one play I was able to learn about. Could you give us briefly the basic history of the Airmen? I I know they took their name from Tuskegee University in Alabama, where they were trained, but that's not where the Airmen came from. No, the original Airmen, there were 16,000 original Tuskegee Airmen at the very beginning, and that included men and women, black and white. They were trained at three different areas in the United States. The bomber crews were trained at Godmanfield, Kentucky. The flight crew and ground staff, uh, ground crew and support staff were all at Chanute Air Force Base in Rantoul, Illinois. And the pilots were trained at Tuskegee, Alabama. And the name Tuskegee Airmen didn't come along until way after World War II. That was originally called the Tuskegee Experience, and it was changed so as not to be confused with the Tuskegee Syphilis Experiment. But they were known then just as, you know, those colored guys over there learning how to fly and and messing with our pigs and our cows in the fields. (laughs) The story of how they got to be able to fight in the war is really quite remarkable. Why does this story captivate people? My opinion, I think it captivates people simply because they can't believe the things that they had to go through in order just to fight for their country. And the fact that when they came home from the war, they came back to the exact same prejudice and Jim Crow laws that they left. And it actually made no difference. It made a lot of difference to the Tuskegee Airmen that participated in it. They were very proud of themselves and their communities. The black communities were extremely proud, but it did not change the country until much later on. But it's a fascinating story of what all they had to go through. And people just, I don't know, I guess they like to hear it because we, we're telling it from a personal point of view because it was our dad. Um, and our dad and mom were married at the graduation of the first class. So it's actually our mom too. So it's a, a story about 
their lives and what they went through in order to help change history. Yeah. I'd like to talk about your dad in a minute, George Roberts, uh, the commander. I understand there's even a road named for him out at McClellan Park. Yes. Roberts Avenue, isn't it, Lee? I think it's a kind of a funny story because his street is one street behind Arnold Avenue, named for Hap Arnold, the general in the Air Force at the time, who was extremely racist, but he had to acknowledge the Tuskegee Airmen's exploits because he had no choice in the matter. And But he didn't like them at all. And so I kind of think it's, you know, deja vu that Dad's street is right next to his. <laughs> so. I imagine that might make your dad happy, too. I mean, he's, <laughs> probably, you know, the, the story of what the airmen, the individuals, the men, the women, the pilots, the rest had to go through to to get in there. We could spend the whole half hour talking about the sorts of insults and oppression and just outright racism that they they had to endure. Partly, this was a civil rights story. As I understand it, uh, prior to the war, there was a, a movement to allow Blacks, African-Americans to serve in the military. And uh, ultimately, that's what led to the creation of this. Uh, I was reading on one of the websites that uh, the, the airfield in Tuskegee, when they were sent there to train, it was basically just a dirt field. It wasn't ready for them yet. Oh, correct. It was just a... Uh field owned by a farmer named Moton who gave it to them. There was nothing there, absolutely nothing. It was just a dirt field. And he said, well, you can do whatever you want with it. And so they had basically had to build their base, the first class and the instructors that went there before them. This came about because after World War I, there was a study made by a Southern congressman who wanted to know what the capabilities were of Black men in the military. Because prior to that, the only jobs that they were allowed to have in the military were the subservient positions like they had during slave times, because the army at the time was set up just like it was old Southern traditions. And so the only the black people that joined black men were served as valets, you know, shining the general's shoes and fetching his food and stuff like that, or working in the kitchens or digging the trenches for the latrines. And when World War II started, the NAACP and the Black press went to the War Department and said there's an entire generation of young men and women who want to serve their country, but they don't want to do it digging trenches and being valets. You need to come up with something. And that's how this whole thing got started. And they had a civilian pilot training program in place in white colleges across the United States to teach the young people how to become pilots, young men. And so they came up with six historical Black colleges to put in pilot training programs, also to train African-American men. Tuskegee University was one of them, and West Virginia State was one of them, which is where our dad graduated from. The pilots, and probably all the airmen, I don't you would know this better than I would, but the ones who actually ended up serving, they had to prove themselves over and over and over again just to get in to serve because the racism, the discrimination, you know, people were looking let's call it what it is, racists were looking for reasons to drum them out. Oh, yes, definitely. And, and so when they couldn't, because they were so good, well, then what it meant is by the time they actually got in and serving, these were people who were very skilled at what they could do. Ex extremely. They were the only pilots who were trained on four different planes. 
because they never had planes that were together enough for them to be able to learn to fly on just one type of plane. The flight ground crew would have to cannibalize five or six planes to make one plane for them to train on that actually flew. And they were called the Lonely Eagle Squadron because no one would allow them to join their squadron so that they were always by themselves. Nobody wanted to have them because they were all black. But they trained over and over and over again. Have you ever heard of whack-a-mole, the game whack-a-mole? Well, they used oh, to yeah. play that with the planes. They'd fly around and gophers would jump up out of their holes and they'd shoot them from the air. So they were extremely skilled at what they did. And they had lots and lots of practice. And so by the time they finally were allowed due to pressure from communities and, and Eleanor Roosevelt and the NAACP, where they were finally allowed to go actually into combat, they were very good at what they did. The instructors at Tuskegee had been told, yes, we will have this program, but you have to make sure that a minimum of 75% of all their students fail the course. So they told them they could make them fail no matter what they had to do, no matter how they did it. They didn't care. They came up with some of the dumbest reasons to wash them out. They had to make sure that 75% or more failed the course. The, the accomplishments of the airmen, to me, they're all the more impressive. I, I sort of did the math on this. They were pushing to be allowed to volunteer to risk their lives defending a country that demeaned them much of the time. You know, because they were black. And the depth of character that a person displays to do that, that the airmen displayed to do that, it, it just, it really sort of takes my breath away. I mean, they were fighting a hard war on two fronts. They were fighting fascism in Europe, and they were fighting an attitude in this country that said, you know, yeah. I don't even want to say it. It, it just, it, it, it was, that was, that was putting them down. Mm-hmm. There's a, there's a book, and I believe in a DV out, DVD out called the double V because for stands for double victory, because it was victory over the fascists and victory over Jim Crow laws here at home, because due to a majority, due to their efforts that they, during World War II is when the law was passed to integrate the armed forces. It didn't come into law until 1954, but because of, of their efforts was one of the main reasons why the military was integrated. Yeah. Lee, you had your hand up there. Yeah, I did. I, I, I wanted to make sure that you knew about the, the double V, which you covered, but also the Tuskegee Airmen that were held as POWs in German camps, the Germans asked them, one of, one of those prisoners, well, one well-known is Alexander Jefferson. He just passed last year, but one of them was named Floyd Thompson, and he is dad's first cousin. They were raised as brothers. They were both only children and their mothers were sisters. So he was shot down and held as a prisoner in Germany. And the Germans not only knew everything about the Tuskegee Airmen, not that they were called that at the time, but they knew about the black pilots. They knew that Floyd was dad's younger cousin. And one of the things they asked all of the POWs was, why? Why are you fighting for America? White Americans hate you. They don't want you there. They've never wanted you there except as free labor. Why are you doing this? And all of them answered, America is my country. <laughs> I am fighting for my country. 
in one way or another, however they worded it, all of them had, had the same response. But, you know, they were well aware of what they were up against when it started. So it's not like they really thought everything was going to change overnight once they came home. Certainly, they contributed to progress in America in, in a variety of ways. But I guess that's what I mean by impressive. Well, tell me about your dad. He stayed in the Air Force until 1968, I believe, right? And he retired Correct. as a colonel. Retired as a colonel out of McClellan Air Force Base, which is McClellan Park now. It's no longer an Air Force Base. And he uh, then later went to work for Wells Fargo. Tell me about him. Who? What was he like? How did this experience as an airman influence him? I actually have to think back on that as as far as the influences, because I grew up, of course, all the whole time he was in the military. So I was definitely a military brat. But of course, I didn't know anything about Tuskegee Airmen or what he had done. So the influence part, I have to actually think back on because growing up with him, he didn't talk about it. You know, the greatest generation. They didn't discuss what they had done during that time period. All I knew was that he flew a plane once in a while. You know, he wore a uniform and he was gone a lot. But um, once I found out about the Tuskegee Airmen and realized his part in it, I was flabbergasted. Unfortunately, he was already gone by the time that came about. But Dad went to college when he was 15 years old. He graduated when he was 18 with a four-year engineering degree, mechanical engineering degree. And his mother didn't want him to come back home because there was nothing there for him. He could either get a job as a busboy in a white country club or work in the coal mines. You know, you're black, you're 18 years old, and you got a college degree in engineering. Not a whole lot for you in West Virginia. So he decided to stay that extra year for two reasons. One, he spotted the incoming freshman class coming in, which included our mother with the long hair and the long legs. And the second reason is after he decided to stay, the civilian pilot training program came to West Virginia State. And he'd always wanted to fly, and this was his opportunity. So he was the first one to get accepted into the program at West Virginia State, and he was the first to get his pilot's license. And so that was like the stepping stone to joining and becoming a Tuskegee Airman. He was the first one accepted into the program. He went in and took the tests that they had devised for them, remember, to make sure that as many as possible failed. And so he took this test and got a high mark in it in the 90s, and they accused him of cheating. And he said, with whom? From whom? There's nobody here but me. It's just me in an empty room. So they said, okay, we'll take the same test again in front of us. So 20 minutes later, they gave him the exact same test. So he took it and got even a higher mark. And just to, you know, kind of tick him off. And um, <laughs> uh, he could have gotten 100% on it, he said, but he didn't want to because he was he knew he was the first one taking the test. And that wouldn't have been fair to everybody else that had to take the test because they were looking for reasons not to be able to accept people. Yeah. And, you know, and then they finally decided that maybe he, this guy was that smart. And so he got accepted into the program and went on to do really great things. He graduated with the first class of five. And he had asked mom to wait for him to for getting married because he found out he had to be single to be a cadet. And so she agreed to wait for him. And then when she went to go see him get his wings, they called her down from the audience and they got married right then and there at the graduation ceremony of the first class. He was very, very pleased with himself because he had promised her since she just said she'd wait for him. She, he told her that as soon as I get my wings, we'll get married. 
of course, she was planning her wedding, you know, and had been working toward it and saving money and everything else. And so she was not real happy when they called her up on the audience and got married right then and there. And when she asked him about it, you know, she, he says, well, I told you I was going to, as soon as I got my wings, we get married. And she said, well, honey, I didn't mean three minutes after you got your wings, you know. Was your dad that literal all the time? Uh, yeah, he was. She called it the engineer brain, you know. Yep. He focused on what he had to do and he did it. When did you learn about his uh, experiences? Well, I learned a lot when uh, he asked me to type his biography for him and for some speech that he was doing and he had to have a bio. And so as I'm typing, I was in high school at the time. And as I'm typing this, this biography, all of a sudden I looked at him and I said, who are you? I said, are you somebody famous or something? And his answer was, yeah, or something. That was it. Okay, okay, but the bio didn't go into any depth of his war experiences, just his accomplishments were just phenomenal by themselves. The majority of this I learned when our mother started the living history team after dad passed away. He died at the age of 65. He was very early. And the organization, the national organization had only been in existence for a few years when he passed away. And so he was second in command to B.O. Davis Jr., who was the West Point cadet graduate. And as second in command, mom decided that he was not going to get lost in history. So she started the living history team and started going around doing the presentations and showing the memorabilia and everything else like we're doing now. And going with her and listening to her talk about these accomplishments is how I found out the majority of the things that dad had done. Up until that point, I had no clue, none whatsoever. And uh, while you're talking, your sister Lee there is, uh, we can see each other by Zoom. She's holding up photos. I think that's of your mom. Wow. Wonderful photos. That was mom's mom's pinup picture that dad asked for while he was serving. He asked for a picture, another one of those stories. But the first picture I showed you was their actual wedding photo. Dad was still in his flight uniform and it was like taken 15 minutes after their, their wedding. They had to put their flight uniform, flight suits on because they had to prove they could fly now that they had gotten their wings. <laughs> so. Yeah, that was it was kind of nonstop, wasn't it? Um, mm-hmm. It was totally nonstop. I, I will say I would love to know the pinup story. We have about 10 minutes left, so maybe we won't go into that. I, I, I can imagine what that was. She was uh, eight months pregnant when she took that picture. So, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm getting a, I'm getting a real sense of playfulness there and a lot of love. Mm-hmm. Um, we are talking with Lee Roberts and Lanelle Brent. They are sisters. Their father was commander of the Tuskegee Airmen, George Roberts, uh, who was a colonel when he left the Air Force in 1968. He died in 1984. When I was doing some research for this, I came across this movie that was made in 1945 by the military about the Tuskegee Airmen. And it was called Wings for This Man. And uh, it was narrated by Ronald Reagan, which may be one reason why this thing continues to resonate. And it's, uh, I imagine it was done as a newsreel and it sort of looks like it. Maybe it's shown between movies and it's meant to show the airmen. You know, it has only the faintest allusions to the sort of racism that they faced. You know, talks about how they faced hardship or heartache, you know, and overcame it. Did your... I guess your dad probably didn't talk about this if he didn't really talk about his experience. I was just wondering if he ever, if he had an opinion about that movie or if that's just one of many, many things out there about the airmen. 
I don't even know if he ever saw it. I'd never heard of it until just now when you mentioned it. So, or I, I may have seen it a long time ago and I don't remember, but I don't know if he even saw that movie. And I know definitely he never told me his opinion about it. If he did see it, I don't know. Lee, did he ever talk to you about it? Specifically about that movie? No, but I'm quite certain he had seen it. I've seen it. What did you think of it, Lee? Not impressed. Um, well, I, under the circumstances, of course, at the time he was just an actor, but I find it <laughs> difficult that it's Ronald Reagan that was the, the narration for, for the video. I, those yeah. two things don't go together for me at all. Because of who he was later as governor and, and president? You mean that? Yes. Yeah. Yes. So it's, yeah. All right. Well, not to linger too long on that. I mean, it's anyone who wants to can find it on Wikipedia. There's lots of things to look at, read about the airman. I would um, like to say one thing, though, for dad, even if he absolutely did not like that uh, reel or anything else, it is not how he would have portrayed that. He, everything with dad was always on a positive spin. Right. He just did not go into the the, the negative or the, oh, what they did. Never, ever. I never heard him do that. We have recordings of him, everything, even the things that happened to them in a negative way. When dad spoke about it, it was in a positive way and took the positive mm -hmm. out of it. It's just who he was. You know, one of the things about the, um, when I think about what the airmen accomplished, the Tuskegee airmen accomplished and what they faced, and I, I can't help but sort of try to bring that forward and think, well, what is there from that experience to learn from today? And I, I'm wondering, you folks, uh, your dad was Tuskegee Airman. I'm sure you've talked to lots of members of it, people who went, you know this story. What do you think we can learn from their experience that would apply today? Because America obviously still has it's changed a lot, but there's a lot that hasn't changed. What from their experience do you think we can learn from today and apply today? Perseverance, for one. Uh, <sighs> tolerance. And, uh, but yet don't take any guff. <laughs> education. Huh? Education. Yeah, definitely education, yes. First Get as much all, education as you possibly can. Right. You never Stop. know when an opportunity will arise. Be ready. be ready, be prepared, mm -hmm. right. All right. And don't bury history. We, we yes. We know the history so that we are not doomed to repeat it, as they say. So, yeah. uh, and that's why the, the remaining Tuskegee Airmen, men and women, still do presentations when they can. They still speak up about their experience and they are still telling the same information and stories of we really can work together this can happen and they all still love America. That's not going to change. They're Americans. Yes. I just think that's so impressive to have endured personally the hell and to come out of it still saying, let's fix this. Let's fight the common enemy. Let's find common ground perhaps. Yes. So, and the common enemy usually is actually ignorance. Yeah. In 
tolerance as well, but but ignorance, which is why education is so important to them, not just in a, on a personal level so that you can achieve whatever in life, but also so that you can understand someone else's point of view, which is how you're going to find common ground. Dad was also the first black commander of an integrated unit after the military was desegregated. And it was, well, it was also designed, they were hoping, some were hoping it was going to fail, but he was chosen because of who he was and how he was, Mr. Positive on things. And um, clearly it did not fail because the military's integrated. And he remained friends with a lot of his, the people that he was commanding at that time for years, many years, a lot of them showed up for his service. So, um, you know, I think he did his job the right way. <laughs> so how many of the Tuskegee Airmen are still alive? The war's been over for 77 years. So That we know of, we've got probably 25. We, have, we still have four uh, fighter pilots and five bomber pilots for sure. We have still nurse. I think there's two of them, actually. I know one for sure couple of office employees and then several of the ground crew you know the mechanics crew chiefs that kind of thing so that's what we know of but in the organization we really have never known exact numbers so there are so there were far more Tuskegee Airmen that did not join the organization than that did because a lot of times they don't know that they are Tuskegee Airmen so there's a myth out there that it's pilots and that's not accurate at all because you said, I think when I said early on, it was men and women, and not everybody was African-American. Correct. One of the things your organization does is you award scholarships, particularly in the areas of science, technology, engineering, also the arts, math, things like that. So that sounds consistent with your point about education. If people want to learn more about the Tuskegee Airmen, you've got a website, taheritage.org. Any particular books or any other resources that you think are particularly good places to go to, to get more of the story? Because we're just touching on it here today. Lee, you can answer that. Gee, thank you. You're welcome. Um, <laughs> there are actually several books out. If you're looking for individual stories of you know individual pilots and such, I mentioned Alexander Jefferson. He has a book out. Uh, Harry Stewart, he was one of the first. Harry Stewart and Jim Harvey were the um, what people now call top gun. They were the, 1949 was the first gunnery meet and Tuskegee Airmen won that meet. And that was secret for quite a while. And uh, one of them wrote a book, but there are general books out there. Illustrated history, Tuskegee Airmen illustrated history, 1939 to 49 is my favorite book personally, because it not only tells the story from beginning to end, and it's about everyone, not an individual, but it is full of photos which is really nice. You get to actually see the real things, see the real people, see their, see Tuskegee University, the, the, not university. Um, well, yeah, actually part of it was the university, yeah. but the, the ground itself, you know, so it's just, it depends on what you're really looking for, but we as a chapter sell books and DVDs. We have a DVD called Silver Wings and it is an interview of like, 12 or 13 of the originals, and it is a very good DVD. So they can always get things from us. All right. Well, we're very near the end. So uh, we've been talking with Lee Roberts and Linnell Brent, whose father, 
George Roberts, Colonel Roberts, uh, was a member of the Tuskegee Airmen. Linnell and Lee, thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you very much, Bill, for having us. Appreciate it. I am Bill Buchanan. This is Davisville on KDRT in Davis, California, 95.7. Thank you for listening.